Welcome to the Sin of Our Fathers podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kuhn, joined as always by my oldest brother, Michael Kuhn. Hello, hello, hello. A little bit of sunburn. And my middle brother, Matthew Kuhn. Hey, guys. <laughs> a little less sunburn. A little less sunburn. So the Sin of Our Fathers podcast is brought to you by the new Barbasol Shave Club, featuring the premium Ultra 6 Plus Razor. Barbasol is the brand trusted by men for nearly 100 years to deliver a close and comfortable shave. If you visit Barbasol.com today, you can join the Barbasol Shave Club. If you use discount code BROWNS, you know how to spell it. That's B-R-O-W-S. At checkout, you can get $2 off. O-W-N-S. Yeah, it's not important. They know how to spell it, but you don't. <laughs> I'm not going to fault you because I've messed it up before in the past, too. So. Whatever. This is just making the Barbasol read even longer. B-R-O-W-N-S. You're welcome, Barbasol. You get $2 off your initial shave kit order. Um, so thank you so much for Barbasol, to Barbasol for supporting this podcast. Um, we supported the Browns this weekend when we paid for plane tickets to fly down to Tampa. We paid for an Airbnb. Um, we paid for Ubers. And then we were just completely and utterly disappointed. I'm disappointed. I'm still upset. It was fun, though. It yeah. was fun. Yeah, it was fun. We we had a little place in Ebor. Didn't really know what Ebor was, but it turns out it's like the the New party Orleans. party strip, the New Orleans of Tampa Bay. <laughs> yeah. Which so that's the fine, Bourbon Street. You know, yeah. um, we got Grandpa to drive over and come to the game with us. Um, we'll talk. We'll call him here in a minute. But we tailgated with Grandpa, and that was the first time he'd ever tailgated before. <laughs> Yeah. He, he had season tickets to the Browns, and apparently tailgating wasn't a thing, or he didn't do it. I don't know. And he had a blast with the <laughs> tailgating. It was hilarious. He's never been more in his element. It was fantastic. It was so fun. Grandpa, you know, likes to crack himself a beer every once in a while. And so we were hanging out. We didn't really, like, bring a ton of stuff to tailgate. We brought some brats. We were trying to find a grill. And um, Dad was sitting in one of our chairs, and I walked over. We had a football we were throwing around. I walked over, and I just see Grandpa standing at some other tailgate's table, just observing the beer pong. And I was like, this is hilarious. I got to go over there and see what's going on, hang out. And uh, he he was sure enough, he was standing there. So I asked the guys, I was like, hey, you mind if my grandpa plays a little bit? And they were like, yeah, yeah, come on. <laughs> and so grandpa was just tossing ping pong balls into cups, drinking the beer. Initially, he was like, oh, no, I can't. I can't drink. It was like, what? It's like 10 in the morning. Soon enough, he's playing beer pong. He already had a beer. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. Hypocrisy at its finest. It was a blast. It was so funny. We'll have to put that video up of Grandpa playing at some point on our Twitter page. It was so fun. It really was fun, despite the obvious disappointment. The I got to say, the Browns, like, every time I go to a Browns game, the, the before and after with the Browns fans is always very enjoyable. Um, at this game in Tampa... The Browns fans may have outnumbered the Buccaneers fans. Poor showing by the Bucks fans, which was which was sad, but it made strong for a, showing made for by a the Browns fans. Great atmosphere for, yeah. for the Browns. I mean, even when I was rewatching the game, when when the roughing the passer was called on Ogba, yeah, you can hear the crowd boo. Yeah, yeah, I was booing. Yeah, yeah it was and like just every us. every time when I was rewatching the game, every time Duke caught the ball, you could hear. Duke, like louder than anything you heard from the Tampa Bay fans. And you could see it. Like there was empty Tampa Bay seats, but you could also see the brown and orange everywhere in the stadium. Yeah. It was exciting. Really strong showing. Yeah. From, 
Maybe because everybody from Ohio just goes and retires down in Florida. And it so. is true. <laughs> that is very true. Um, so good showing by the Browns fans. It was really fun. But um, So we just hung out with Grandpa, but we got a chance to give him a call and hear his highlights from the weekend. I know we had fun, and I think he did too. So here's that. Hello. Hey, Grandpa. It's Matthew. How are you? Uh, okay, Matthew. How's things? Oh, doing pretty good. It's just <laughs> calling to see if you had a minute to talk about the Browns, if you've digested <laughs> what we watched the other day. Would it take that long? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, probably not. <laughs> I'll tell you right. Have you recovered? It's Michael. Have you recovered from Sunday? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, even when I had my hand on it, I got a little bit of sun, <laughs> sun on my face in there. But uh, I, that, uh, that was the first time I ever tailgated, boy. It was, uh, that was really, really great. So what was your favorite part about tailgating? Beer pong. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you've never played beer pong before. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> you're telling me, you're telling me that in the villages they don't ever play beer pong. No, not these old farts. They don't do that. <laughs> I think you got to get that started. Yeah, you should have. You should have some friends over to play beer pong someday. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I, I that's the first time I ever tailgated. You know, I, I, you know, I was going to tell Nancy how friendly everybody was. I just walked around to offer offer a couple of beers to use their grill and everything. <laughs> no, that is that is super fun. So you used to have season tickets to the Browns. If you didn't tailgate, what did y'all do? There was a uh, we I don't know, maybe we just we just never did it. You know, I told you we walked in there with a case of beer on our shoulder, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and it was uh, I mean you think that's that's unheard of today. I mean everybody you, you say that to somebody, you say, well, you got to be kidding. That would, that would never happen. And, like, uh, was I, that I, okay? Like, were you allowed to do that? Or did no one, yeah. or was it a situation where just no one stopped you? No, well, nobody stopped. Yeah, you walked, walked in, give me your ticket, go off there. Nobody, nobody said a damn thing. And now, when you think back on that, you say, well, God, how, how could that have happened? <laughs> so, Grandpa, and, what year was this? Is it you're talking like in the seventies? Well, or is this before that? Well, let's see. It was. Uh, let's see. We. Uh, let's see. I, guess, I was. I was married. It was so probably the seventies because we used to. We used to go back over to my father's house, and we used to. There was there was uh, me, Big Bill, my man, my brother, and, uh, and and Bill Campbell's brother-in-law, whose name was also Bill, and so <laughs> we and my my father had a had a, a fifty-two Plymouth stick shift on it, and we he said. We saw go in there, and he said he'd take us over there, drop us off at the stadium, and then go back home. Because then we walked back to the car, which was a couple miles over the bridge, over the river, and everything. <laughs> but he, <laughs> that was great. 
think back on those days, it was it was it was fun. That's but awesome. But it's always Sunday. I really enjoyed that. That was one of the best the best things that happened to me in a long time. <laughs> That's awesome. We had a blast. Yeah. Even, I mean, the only thing that would have been better is if Hugh Jackson had done a little better job coaching the team and we would have won the game. But yeah. um, what do you think was to blame? I'm blaming Hugh, but uh, what, what's your take? Well, uh, it's, you know, here they were. Remember, they were down It was uh, they were down there on the one-yard line. Four tries they tried. To, they couldn't get in. They touched out for the one-yard line. Anytime you can't you can't make one yard in the NSL, shame on you. They got they got to, they got to put some life in that team. These guys were playing absolutely flat. The, the defense they're playing at they're 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 playing that that damn zone defense. And this guy and this guy was just picking them apart. You know what? You know? Uh, the Browns actually held the Bucks to the lowest point total of the year. For them, they've been average. They're averaging like over thirty points per game, and yeah, this was well, the lowest point total of the season for them so well, far. Well, that, that's great. I'm sure they brought. I'm sure the Browns feel real good about that, you know. But they lost. <laughs> 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 uh, they, the problem, you know, they usually they they uh, they uh, get going a little bit in the fourth quarter, but they. But usually they don't play four quarters. They play maybe three quarters of a game. They play and then they then they lay down. And if they got a, if they got a, a lead, they they lose it. It's it's it's, it's a, you know the Browns have some of the best fans in the country that are that are loyal and supportive of them. And it's a it's a shame that the Browns don't. Uh, don't rally to the point and please, to please these fans. You know, when they're playing at home, they got you, you have to win at home and win for the people that are paying it good money to go in there and see you play. You, you, you got to put a good product on the field. Well, and they we, haven't been, well, we actually have done pretty good at home. The away games have been the problem. We've, yeah, we've, well, hopefully we can keep up the home wins for the fans. I would well, just, it would just be nice to win some away games too. Yeah, they haven't won a home game. I mean, they haven't won an away game since uh, Christopher uh, discovered America. You know, <laughs> uh, <are> we... <laughs> it feels like that. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Well, Grandpa, well, it was it was really really fun to hang out with you this weekend. Sorry we couldn't see a win. I, I really enjoyed it. I'm glad you guys like to hang out with an old guy. <laughs> yeah, we need to figure out when the next game is that we can go to and tailgate. Maybe <laughs> well, we can, maybe we can get you on an airplane next time. Yeah. So you said it was uh, well, one of the. But, here, Grandpa, uh, listen to this. Listen to this pitch. You said it was one of the best things that's happened to you in a while. You might have to right. make you might have to make a sacrifice to have that happen again. Uh, I don't know how much sacrifice I can do. <laughs> the closest game around here would probably be I mean not well, nothing around here, right? Atlanta? Yeah. You know, Maybe. Jacksonville. We might play. Yeah, Jackson, Jacksonville and very another close one, but here. Uh, I don't know. If we if we hit you with a tranquilizer, and you just and you just woke up at the city that an NFL game was, would you be happy or disappointed? 
I don't know. Let's let's wait. Let's wait till the situation arises. It will make a decision. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Well, we love you, Grandpa. Yeah. Okay, guys. Thanks for calling. Be talk, good talking to you. All right. Bye-bye. See you. So, it was a very, very fun weekend, as all you Browns fans know, to be together, be with your family, but, as all you Browns fans know, very disappointing. Um, Michael, Matthew, my question for you, after watching that game, um, what do you think was the single most important factor that led to our loss? If you could pick one thing, I know there's a lot of things that happened, um, but if you could pick one thing that is the reason why we lost this game, what do you think it is? You go first. It's cl- clear to me that it's our execution in the red zone. I mean, we, we weren't able to convert short yardage when it mattered, um, and we turned the ball over on fourth down. There's, mm-hmm. there's three occasions where we turned the ball over on fourth down in the red zone. If we get any points from any three of those, we win the game. We were, it's frustrating because we're playing well enough to win the game in most areas, and then we just find a way to really screw the pooch. Yep. Um, I don't think that Hugh Jackson helped our red zone execution with some of his in-game decision-making. Sure. And what, that, what, what, like, what, the, first, the first egregious decision, I thought, was in the first half when we were stumbling and couldn't make anything happen. Got down there to it was what the almost it was like the 19 yard line or something like that. Fourth and one near the end of the half, score was 16 to two, and he opts to go for it on fourth down rather than kick the field goal. I get the mindset of how helpful it's going to be if you get that fourth down and are able to convert into a touchdown, but take the freaking points that you've got at that point in the game. Like, I wanted the field goal then, and then obviously we had horrible luck on the next play with Baker Mayfield scrambling out of the pocket, getting the ball knocked out, and it going behind the line. Like, that was super unfortunate and unlucky, the way that that happened. But if we'd have those three points, we would have won the game in regulation. Yep. I mean, it's as simple as that. Like, we were there. And we had other points in the game where we – we're not able to execute and put points on the board that should have been simple as well. So that was just one of the instances and it kind of just started the spiral, but it, that puts you behind the eight ball and then you got to make up for it later. And we never, we were fighting uphill the whole rest of the time. Yeah. It's frustrating because I felt like our special teams played well. For the second week in a row. We've mm-hmm. we've been complaining yes. about Anus Jones on this podcast for a long time. And Colquitt was out of his mind. Colquitt was out of his mind. Colquitt re- recorded the longest punt of any punter this whole season. That Tampa thing Bay. was a bomb. That punt was a bomb. <laughs> um, but our return game has, has come to life. Uh-huh. Our coverage was pretty good. We didn't give up any, any like, crazy... Did we have a special teams penalty all game? I don't think so. Probably not. Which is unheard of for us. Yep. Everything was great until that Jabril fumble at the end, which obviously like basically sealed our fate. 
which is disappointing because the return before that, he made a huge play and put us in position to score the game-tying touchdown. To tie it, yeah, and Jabril, Jabril really did play well. He had a couple of returns that were uncharacteristic of him, and the one that he was returning was a good return until he lost control of the ball when he got hit from behind. Um, but it's just like everything, and it's the reason why we, like, as soon as our offense plays well, our defense sucks. As soon as our defense plays well, then our offense can't do anything. As soon as our special teams plays well, then all of a sudden they blow it at the end of the game. I would say, too, it's a pattern. An- another, like, really disappointing aspect of this game was the penalties on our but on the whole team. I mean, we didn't have any penalties on special teams like you just mentioned, so we'll keep them off the hook. But offense and defense both had really bad untimely penalties. Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to complain probably, I'm sure, over and over again about how terrible the offense was to start this game in the first half. But a big reason that the offense was so bad is because we kept having horrible penalties. I mean, I can't tell you how many times we were in first and 20 situations. There was like, I think there was multiple first and 30 situations there was definitely one there at the end of the game right before baker had his run but the holding calls the block in the backs there's that screen pass late in the game where there was a block in the back called on i think it was i don't know it was one of our wide receivers i think but, it was ratley but it, no it was actually i think it was callaway no it was what's no, his it was, face what's from uc rashad perriman but, yeah it was perriman but he okay so i rewatched that play yeah, and he went and he ran into him, but like you know when you run into the guy and your arms are up and you run into his back, that's not normally called a block in the back, and that's exactly what he did. It was a twenty-five yard gain. Yeah, on first and twenty, and it just ugh. Chubb had a bunch of yards that got called back. Chubb's stat line could have looked a whole lot better had some of that um, those little penalties either not been called or some of our guys just kind of showed a little more restraint in certain situations. There's a lot of defensive untimely penalties, like Emmanuel Emmanuel Ogba's sack that got overturned because I think it was Kirksey's illegal contact contact. down the field, um, which I saw, and I I mean, you can call it. I understand. It was. It it was. And the next play was the touchdown. Yes. Yeah. That happened multiple times where we had an untimely penalty, and then they went for the jugular, and that's happened to us all season. I mean, after something bad happens, we don't respond well on the next play. Like after the impact we miss gets the extra magnified. point, it yeah. gets magnified, and we can't stand our ground. Whereas, like we're a really, really good team, but I feel like we let the emotions of the moment get the best of us. I think it's hard to refute that uh, on the defensive side of the ball. We've talked about on offense how we get behind the down and distance, and we still feel some confidence with Baker. Um, so I'm not sure if that's as true on that side but of the ball as it is on defense. But Desmond uh, Harrison struggled this week. So did Chris Hubbard. Like Our the single, the single, great. the one play of the game where we could have won it was when we were in overtime after getting the ball on our side of the field. We it was a third down and two or three at our 38. Even if we stay there and don't gain a yard, we can kick a 55 yard field goal if we want. I mean, we lost on a 59-yard field goal, so why wouldn't we attempt a 55-yarder to win? But instead, freaking Carl Nassib just straight arms Chris Hubbard and backs him right into Baker and forces the sack. I mean, we lose seven yards, we lose seven yards, and that's the difference in the game. We have to punt the ball. It's ridiculous. No, absolutely. I think think Chris Hubbard's been slightly disappointing, especially for... um, I think he had pretty high expectations coming in for the season. Um, 
I thought this might have been Desmond Harrison's worst game as a Brown. Um, he's kind of been up and down. I thought he he was making good strides this week, but this he was going up against JPP often, but JPP is not the same guy that he was a few years ago. Um, so that was dis- that was disappointing to see, and it I, it's contributing to why I think mm-hmm. um, Baker's been less effective um, because the tackles are getting pushed back into him. He's he's losing confidence in his pocket and being forced to either speed things up, make decisions quicker. But when think tuck, about the, tuck the ball and run throws kind of the playoff rhythm. Here's the thing. Think about the Jets game. He was not holding the ball that long whenever he first came in in the Jets game. He was getting the ball out all of the sudden. And there's I hope, I really hope that there isn't some film on Desmond Harrison that's just suddenly been unlocked and that teams are going to be able to expose him in this way and that this is going to be a continued problem. But what I actually think is happening is Baker has more continually held onto the ball longer than he did when he first got into the game in his first couple games where he was just rocketing it around, getting the ball out of his hands super fast, but he's holding onto it a little bit longer. And so we're blaming the tackles when actually it's Baker being a little bit indecisive um, than he had been before. And maybe it's the defenses have have the look on Baker and they have the film on Baker so he doesn't get to go to his first, second look anymore. But couple, I, I have a couple thoughts on this. Yeah. Continue, go ahead. Yeah, but no, I, I just think that that could be what it is. And I, I hope it's not because I've really liked Harrison so far. Yeah, so on the tackles, I think the tape's out there and everybody knows both of these guys are really quick with their feet, so you're not going to beat them around the edge, but they're not very strong. So they're just getting bull rushed. That's why a guy like Carl Nassib was so successful. That's his only move. Carl Nassib can bull rush, and he can't do anything else. So like you saw him making play after play after play, and you're seeing it on tape now multiple weeks in a row where our tackles don't hold up strong. On that play, when Chris Hubbard gave up that sack to Carl Nassib, he got a great jump and got set and was still off balance and not ready to, like, it was unbelievable. His pass set was looked great, and then Nassib got into him and just pushed him back. It, it was super sad. But, Mark, I think your point is valid, and I think it is more on Baker than it is on the offensive line. Did either of you see the article that Jake Burns wrote for Cleveland.com today? Yeah, no, yeah, no I thought it was good. It was fantastic. And it, le- and it led with some of those stats, like NFL-wide, time to pass, mm-hmm. and where the Browns with Baker have ranked like in that. And we're kind of league average, if not better than league average, as far as what the offensive line is giving Baker to throw and before pressure gets there. But he's not doing a great job getting the ball out in all of those situations. I loved that article because he went play by play, treating each play as its own individual play rather than generalizing on what's going on and what the issues are because each one is unique and each one is different. Um, If you haven't read it, you've got to check out what he's doing. He's doing, I think it's every Tuesday they put up. It's hilarious to me. They just brought him in. This is the third week that he's done it. And they put his article up like as the lead story every single time. (laughs) It just shows. Are how- you are you telling me he has better analysis than Mary Kay? Yes. And <laughs> what? Yes. And others? Yes. The primos, the primos of Cleveland. Well, Doug Maurice is the next, the only other like 
writer worth his salt in that group, but they've kind of pulled him off to focus on Ohio State stuff. Like he's hardly writing right. anything about the Browns now. Um, Good for him. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> but with, that leaves kind of a void of um, logical writing related to the Cleveland Browns. And it's a lot of X's and O's with Jake Burns, but it's really helpful for fans that want to understand the game a little bit more and, certainly, and dive certainly in and fills a, a cleveland.com void. Um, <laughs> yes. there, there hasn't been a lot of X and O's. I love, I love Le Maurice, but he's, he's, he's not even an X and O guy no, really. Like, no, not at uh, all. And so, no, I agree. I think, I think it's just the rookie ups and downs. I mean, you, whether other teams have better tape, so they're kind of covering the roots that they, they think that Baker likes to throw and he knows he's going to go too early or, um, trying to run more complicated concepts and so he's kind of slower through his reads or, or whatever it is. I think that coaches are to blame on that front too. Like, sure. Yeah. I mean we're not he's he's not getting easy easy looks. Um and so of course and he And the wide receivers are to blame because they're not creating separation. Like and, I think that that's a big part of it because it, that wasn't where we were a couple weeks ago when he was getting the ball out fast. He had um Higgins he had Higgins to throw to, who was his guy that he's been working with through the beginning of the preseason. And like, and now he doesn't. Like, he only has that was one of the things from this week that was blaringly obvious. Baker only had Jarvis Landry to throw to. He was throwing to Jarvis Landry almost exclusively, and there was a couple plays that he could hit Njoku on. Um, but it was it was Jarvis and Njoku, and Njoku, if he's not running a post over the middle then Njoku doesn't really get the ball. and You know what I was disappointed in on, on that note? Yeah. That we didn't try to throw deep more often to Antonio Callaway or Brashad Perriman. Or, uh, and, and maybe that was a, a factor of the, the plays were called and the, it just wasn't there, whether because coverage and our tackles were getting pushed back into Baker and he didn't have time yeah. to, to, to do it. But uh, we threw deep to Callaway on the, the one that became pass interference. Took us down to yeah, the one yard line and one. Chubb punched it in the next yep. play. But with our wide receiver core in the condition that it's in right now, with Perriman, Callaway, and Ratley being three of our top four options, that that seems to be like what we can do. It fits within the skill set of the players that we have. And instead of trying to ask them to do things that they're not good at. We gotta be able to take a shot with Callaway for sure. Um what do you think about? Yeah, it was just infuriating. It was it was infuriating the way that I mean the Bucks wide receiver core is really good, and watching them juxtapose to what we had was just infuriating because I mean they have a good they have a good core, and we just did not right now. Yeah, Sorry. what do you what do you think about um, speaking of infuriating? There were two calls that went against the Browns that were particularly infuriating. Yes, the first of which. Is the roughing the passer called on Emmanuel Ogba? Oh my now, gosh! Now we were sitting up in the in the upper deck, so we got to see one replay of it on the screen. But I also saw it live, and I could and we, see from all the way up in the top section that it was not roughing the passer because he was jumping to bat the pass down, and he missed, and he just casually yeah. fell into Jameis Winston. So, so you could you could tell from there that it wasn't late. No. So, but but then what I didn't really understand at the time was I kind of just assumed that I missed something and he like smacked the quarterback's helmet, which is the dumbest rule in football. I hate that rule. 
that like any contact with like a hand or an arm to the quarterback's helmet is somehow roughing. Unless the it's a Browns quarterback, um, and you use your helmet to spear his helmet. But that was an admittedly bad call. And now having watched it like a few times, it's a terrible call, and that screwed the Browns. The, yep. the second thing it was did. is the obvious. After Baker Mayfield rushed for 40 yards or whatever it was, which was and, awesome. and went into the slide, dude got ear holed. Yeah, he did. Helmet, helmet to helmet contact, which it was at, second at the time and thirty. Yeah, something. And at he the, rushed for 40. At the yards. time when the ref comes on and says they're picking up the flag because he was allowed to be hit in the helmet because he he was a runner at the time. Terrible word choice yeah. from from the ref, and I looked back to the guy. The NFL is probably mortified. By I looked that back ref's to that choice. to that guy who was sitting behind us. I think they were from Canada, yeah, or something. Were. And we just started laughing because of the word choice. Like that, <laughs> like you can say there is no foul on the play or something, but don't say he's allowed to be hit in the head. <laughs> like I don't think the NFL ever wants that to be like the the way that things are analyzed. The NFL's human resources department is mortified yeah. by that. And so what was focused on about this call being bad was that Baker was sliding, which I think he was. I think he was late on the slide, so I feel bad for the defender. Like, what are you supposed to do? You have, yeah. to, you have to play him straight up as if he's not going to slide, and then if he slides last minute, you try to hit him. So I'm not so mad about the, the timing of the hit so much as he led with the crown of his helmet. That was supposed to be the thing that was like – focused on that's outlawed anywhere that's outlawed anywhere and the rule coming into the year is it's a foul to lower your head and to initiate contact with the helmet to any part of an opponent much less their head much less their head it doesn't matter if you hit you the opponent's head or baker's head or ankle. if the quarterback's sliding you could hit if their you ankle lo- if you lower your head to initiate contact with any part of the opponent that is supposed to be a foul much less their ear hole. And the because hilarious it's dangerous part, to the player you're hitting and it's dangerous to you. So the hilarious part to me about this is that like sometimes these calls get missed, right? It's a long running play. The refs are running down the field trying to get into position. They might not have the best angle to see the play. And it gets missed. This play, they threw the penalty flag and then decided, nope, we're not going to call the penalty. Like, they actively decided they, to not call is, it. Yeah, which is one yeah, of many they, they had a big differences. They, they sat there and talked about it, and somehow <laughs> it never popped into their head that, oh, shit, there's this new rule that we forgot to talk about. Yes, which is was a focus during the preseason. Oh, yeah, everybody Tons was getting of, called for it. Everyone was getting called for it. And I honestly think that the NFL focused on it during the preseason, and then they told the refs, hey, during the regular season, don't actually call this. That sounds like some sort of – but it, it just hasn't happened anymore. Yeah. It just stopped during the regular season. Um, but there was multiple flags that got picked up on the Browns. I think there was three that they threw on the Bucks and then picked them up later, which was – maddening to watch when you there was actually, a block in the back there was a block that, in the back. that they said no it's from the side and uh, watching it live i don't think that was correct like baker's comments after the game he was saying that they've made this emphasis about protecting the quarterback and yet they pick up that flag after talking about it i think that's completely fair to say as a quarterback who gets hit in the side of the helmet like imagine if that was aaron Rodgers, tom brady Philip Rivers, Joe Flacco. I don't. I don't care if it's some mid-level quarterback. They're going. That's going to be called, and it's not going to be picked up. They're going to say no. You can't do that. 
But because it's Baker and he's a rookie and it's the Browns, quite frankly, that sounds that sounds ridiculous to say, but I actually believe it to be true. You you have a theory on this that you floated before I the do. podcast. I do have a theory on this. What <laughs> if? What if? How about this? What if the the I, I imagine that the NFL officiator, the refs, they're they're a pretty tight knit group, you know. And there was a particular incident that they probably left a bad taste in their mouth way back in the day. What if because of Bottlegate, they've all said these pieces of work in Cleveland, these fans, these a-holes, literally threw glass bottles at our heads after we made an honest mistake. They threw glass bottles at our heads. Let's throw metaphorical haymakers at them for the rest <laughs> of their entire career as a franchise. Let's do that to them. Maybe that's what's happening. May- it's a decent theory. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, it's, it's not the I, worst theory you've ever had. <laughs> I was involved in some sort of tight-knit group like the refs, and I pictured with some empathy glass bottles being thrown at me. I'd be pissed at an entire fan base. I would too. It makes sense. Cleveland has done it to themselves. In That's hi- what's happened. In hindsight, how much of a bad idea was it to ever sell glass bottles in a football stadium? In well, it doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> in Cleveland. <laughs> In Cleveland, worse, like, they could have sold glass bottles anywhere. Like, San Francisco sell glass bottles all the time. Whatever. Don't sell glass bottles in Cleveland. Come on. <laughs> you fools. I'm surprised they didn't just get, like, broken off on the backs of chairs and, like, used to stab, stab each other. Fellow fans. Yeah. Other Cleveland natives. No, I think... be surprised. I mean, it's the most... It's honestly the most logical theory that I've heard about why the Browns have been screwed thus far this season. Because really there, there's been so many, not not a volume of calls, but so many impactful calls, at least one in every game, that have, have affected the outcome of the game. And I can't think of one that went Tampa Bay's favor. Or, well, or that, that went like in the Browns' favor against Tampa Bay. I will say that they called a lot of penalties when I rewatched the game. They called a lot of penalties on Tampa Bay. Like there not was as many as the Browns. Not as many as the Browns. Penalties. Yeah, not as many as the Browns, but these were some penalty happy refs for sure. But think about this: there isn't a sport, there is not one single sport that can maybe besides soccer, calling PKs in the box, that you can dictate the outcome of a game more than a ref can in the NFL. You call an untimely pass interference, you call an untimely on third down, defensive holding that you could call on any play. There's a lot more whistles and stuff in the NBA and at the like down in crunch time and a ref can have a whole lot of impact on the outcome of the game. I think the NFL's more though. A defensive a pass interference call that can give someone I think, 80 I th- yards? I think a, a single a single call in the NFL can have a bigger impact than a single call in the NBA. It's easier to hide it in the NBA, though. Yeah. No, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Because they're constantly blowing the whistle. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's just kind of the nature of the game. But also in the NFL, you could call, you could f- basically call a hold on almost every play. Okay. A defensive hold, a pass interference, you could. So while we're talking about penalties, something that's been bothering me all season, I don't know how much we've really talked about it, is the offsides calls on Miles Garrett that keep getting called 
that are like as close as can possibly be. Can Did you guys together, rewatch it? Can we put together a compilation one of, of these one that of like was. say? I'm not saying he's like not guilty on any of them. I think there's definitely been times when he has jumped off, but like I wa- when I watched it live, I was like, I hope they don't call that because that looked like a really good jump to me. And when I rewatched it, I put it on. You know how when you rewatch it on Game Pass, you can like slow it down. Yeah, yeah. So I put it on slow mo. I did it in slow mo, and I was like, <laughs> I can't tell if he's offsides or not, like because it's perfectly timed. Like it literally is perfectly timed, and he definitely moves before anybody else does. But it's like at the same time that but the ball moves. But that's not the rule, right? So right, he's like, allowed but to move I also, before anybody else. He just can't be offsides. So right. Yeah. So like it looks like he's offsides in the sense that he's moving before anyone else does. But it's like he's starting his movement. If you look at it through the lens of does he get over the line before the ball like moves, like you can't find justification that that is the case. And I watched it like probably 20 times. We need to do a service and we need to create a video of all of those calls, compile them together, superimpose first down marker. But I will You can s- do that, right, Matthew? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I figure. I love free time. <laughs> I will say though too, it seem and this is just my take on it. I'm not sure that this is true, but it seems like he tries to time those things in more of the important moments and they like down the stretch when he, he we know we need to make a play like it seems like that is when those calls come into play and they're that much more damaging whenever mm-hmm. they, they give us this, five yeah. yards in this case it didn't kill us because it was a third and eight situation and then oj howard dropped a pass on the next play and so we got got the ball back we got lucky there we got was, super uh, lucky there we got very lucky okay but that wasn't an offsides and that's happened a few other times this season. It's driving we, me crazy because Miles Garrett is so much better than everybody. Like it's literally he's better than everybody else. The refs are not used to seeing a player get off the ball like that, and he's getting penalized for it. He's being punished. unjustly. He's being punished for being so elite. <laughs> that that would be unbelievably frustrating. <laughs> Can you it? imagine? You're just you're just like penalized because you're better. Just because like I'm so much better than you can even comprehend, you're holding me back. That's. That's what it is. It's great Speaking to have that person on our team. But I, I want to talk about, we've talked about a lot of negatives, a lot of disappointing things. I want to talk about a huge positive because in this game, our defensive line played very, very well, and they played well down the stretch. Emmanuel Ogba probably had his best game. If we can keep Emmanuel Ogba playing at this level and have Miles Garrett playing at the level that we know he's capable of, we, we really have something. We yeah. really have something here on this defensive line. Emmanuel Ogba had a couple of sacks. Miles um, Garrett had a couple of sacks. Um, Ogba's been kind of um, uninspiring so far this year in what he's played. Mm-hmm. But um, Pete was talking about this on the Jeff Lloyd podcast and was saying hopefully this is a sign that he's just healthy again, which yeah. makes sense. He had a high ankle sprain. Like those are yeah. hard to come back from. Yeah, One like of the most it makes injuries. sense that he came back and was like a fraction of himself. Mm-hmm. So for him to play well now, did you just completely mute me? No. 
what are you doing? Matthew's playing with the soundboard and like no, I, just I, I can't you, hear myself no. anymore. I, I turned <laughs> I turned your volume up on accident, thinking it was Mark's, and so that statement that you just made was really loud. And I, I heard and, that. And Sorry, the everybody. The problem is is you're screaming, Michael. Your incessant high pitched screaming. <laughs> Every time and you so get I upset, said, yeah, 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 yeah. And, then, <laughs> and then he starts doing that, and I have to turn it down <laughs> to adjust. Um. And then you get mad at me, and then I talk soft because I'm really <laughs> self-conscious about it. And you get mad at me for that too. Yeah, there's a wide range of of. <laughs> We're walking on eggshells here on the yep. podcast. Walking yep. on eggshells. Uh, uh, anyway, no, but, but no, but, but I think he's healthy. I think that's accurate. Yeah, I, I think he's healthy, and that's going to be good to see. No, and that's great. And down the stretch, okay. So right before they threw that, like I think it was like a 17 yard pass that they got to put him in field goal range in overtime mm-hmm. to after the Jabril fumble. So Jabril fumbled the ball right at like midfield, and we sacked them twice in a row to push them all the way back, and then Jameis threw a pass to the sideline, and they got like 15 yards to attempt a 59-yard field goal. And I was like, okay, this is what we've created our defensive line to be able to do is for situations exactly like this. And they were dead tired. I don't know if you could see Miles it. Miles was I don't know. I don't know if you could see it on the broadcast, but – Miles Garrett was just keeled over like he was like struggling to even breathe even for a second. And then as soon as the ball was snapped, he would just turn up and he would get after. It was honestly inspiring to see. I want to know if he was like catching his breath. It almost looked like he was like mentally preparing, like, like visualizing every snap. He, for those, if you didn't see it, Miles, whenever there was a stoppage in play, he would he would stand there and not move and he would be bent at the waist kind of with like his hands on his knees and just wouldn't move an inch wouldn't move it was awesome honestly wouldn't move and then as soon as it came time to like get in position he would go get in position and just like bust his ass Did and then he would go back like assume the position completely stoic it was dope on the re- when you guys went back and watched it did you see that sack that he had in overtime is it Donovan Smith is the name of the left tackle? Yeah. Playing for the Bucks, Who's a big dude. Like, carries a lot of weight. And he, like, engages with Miles and, like, kind of pushes Miles to the inside. And then Miles, like, just is, like, looks exasperated and tired and does this little spin move. And Donovan Smith's like, okay, I'm done. Like, it's been... we yeah. This play has gone on long enough. Like, I don't need to continue to block. Yeah, and then for some reason Jameis Winston held on to the ball forever, and Miles got the sack. But the way Donovan Smith's shoulders just like drop when he sees that Miles gets to the quarterback is like, oh, dang it! Like it was like, yeah. I thought I did enough. <laughs> it was so funny. He was like, really, I thought I was in the clear. Just dead tired. That's funny. So breaking news while we're recording the podcast. Uh-oh. Uh oh. Pat McManaman, our, oh, our favorite this. ESPN staff writer, says that the NFL has acknowledged that the Browns Baker Mayfield, the hit on Browns Baker Mayfield, should have been flagged. Yeah, no, I saw that, but so, we all knew that already. Thank you. So that's not news. Thank you. How many times? But it's have, news for Pat McManaman. How many times? Yeah. <laughs> how many times have the Browns been apologized to this year? Is this the third time that the NFL has had to apologize for? For like missing an egregious call. There the was the Raiders game, and then there's this one. What was the other one? Th- those might be the only two, actually. 
And how how infuriating is that? Yeah, thanks, NFL. When we're fighting for a wild card spot at the end of the year, we're really going to look back and we're going to see that apology and we're going to be really thankful. <laughs> really thankful that you gave the game away. It's, it's pisses me off to no end. Um, so let's talk about... we got a top 10 draft pick right now if the season ended. <laughs> Do we really, what number Thanks, NFL. Number seven right now. Oh, nice. Score. <laughs> Back I'll, to baseline where we're so, cheering for a top draft pick. So that's going to be freaking <laughs> great. Like, come, like, literally the day of the draft. But yeah. I'll be so mad if, like, we've made all of this progress. Because we're so much better on the field. We are so good. And if we still have a we freaking be top good. 10 draft pick. We are not so good right now, but we could be good. No, like our our players are so good. Yes. Yeah. We are a good team. No, we're as not. A, as no, a whole. I, I disagree with not that statement. Not in the collective. Not no. In, no, I disagree with that statement. I agree with the statement that our players are good. Okay. Yes, that's what I meant. Like the team. But but no, the team is a much larger collective <laughs> than the players. And um it's Are the refs a part of that collective? It's the coaching. Is a huge part of it. Um, um, so let's talk about that. What what options do we have? What well, let's talk about what, what came what, out after the game, right? What do we actually want to do? Um, what do you want to do? It's hilarious to me how Hugh Jackson made his comments about being more involved and taking an active role in the offense, and then like he stepped back from that today. I really want to know the conversations that went on, like behind the scenes that led to that. Like, did he get slapped in the wrist by John Dorsey, by Jimmy Haslam? Did he realize that he put his foot in his mouth and didn't actually want to take on real responsibility because he wanted to be able to fire Todd Haley for the offensive issues down the line so that Todd Haley can be the scapegoat? Was he just purely intimidated by Todd Haley whenever he faced him one on one in a closed room <laughs> and said that to him? <laughs> This is another option. <laughs> There's a lot of options. Okay. Now, I will say, Todd Haley and this offense is putting up more points than we scored in years past, but we also have a lot better talent and better players on this team than we've had in years past. But it hasn't looked like a Todd Haley offense, even in the play call selection it's looked more like a Hugh Jackson offense. Do you think? I think so. Then why is Duke Johnson absent? Well, that's what I'm saying. That's like Duke Johnson's been absent from a Hugh Jackson offense. No, like, last like, year Duke Johnson last, was last very year Duke prevalent. Johnson was like the man. He was all over the place. That's not true. But with the like the entire last season, we just sat here and complained that Duke Johnson wasn't getting enough touches. No, we didn't. No, no, yes. we complained that Duke Johnson was fumbling the ball <laughs> and got hurt. And got every hurt all the time. time. Every time he got hit, he would walk out we of the game. We just joked about that. That's what we complained no, Duke about. Duke Johnson. No, but I'm saying that Todd Haley. Todd Haley uses his running backs. He he throws passes to his running backs. We've seen this over and over and over again in in Pittsburgh and in Arizona. I like I'm his screen game has been like effective and frequent. Like the the quick out passes to, to wide receivers. We're not seeing a lot of that. We're seeing all of this like stuff that's really similar to the offense we were running last year with Deshaun Kaiser, where it's slow developing plays. It's it's like long vertical passing routes. And to me, that's more of a Hugh Jackson-esque 
Yeah, the long the, the verticals. Hugh Jackson stated it's the same as my Madden strategy for verticals. <laughs> so, oh, I'm glad you brought this up. When I rewatched the game, it was so blatantly obvious to me that where we find success in the past, like Baker Mayfield seems to only trust Jarvis Landry as a receiver. Like literally the only player on the yeah. field that he trusts. That's why he's forcing the ball outside on the perimeter when Jarvis Landry has no separation. Yeah, we said in that. those situations. I, mean, I don't blame him. Okay, yeah, I don't blame him either. But we find success like that last touchdown where Jarvis Landry over the middle and he reached out for the touchdown, which was he, a freaking incredible, incredible play. play. It was he lined very up, neat. He lined up in the slot, and he was not lined up in the slot for much of the game. David Njoku's best plays are when he's lined up in the slot and going over the middle. Those two guys Everybody over the middle. Everybody line up in the slot. Well, let's, let's put all of our players in the slot. Stack the slot. The point <laughs> is, is that's where Baker's most comfortable, is throwing <laughs> over the middle. And those two guys are best over the middle yeah. using their athleticism and quickness to create separation. Like, in yeah. short yardage situations. Like, that's where they need to be, but so often Jarvis Landry's lining up on the outside and being asked to beat people on the perimeter, and that doesn't make any but sense. He's slow. Let's, let's have let's just create an offense where they line up in the slot, Paraman and Callaway are on the outside, and they're running option routes that they're supposed to identify the defense and run a, a route accordingly to occupy the most defenders possible, just as like decoys. Good luck asking Callaway to do that. <laughs> hey, but Perriman and Callaway can both run fast. That they can. Both of them can do that. So, hey, this is what is frustrating me. And to add on to that point, how many times have we seen David Njoku thrown to on the perimeter, like going out to the sideline, and he can't bring the ball in? Yes. But if he goes over the middle and you throw the ball up and he's making a catch, he's going to bring that thing in. Almost I, all of his drops are down the side. It happened twice on third down in this game. I legit, where Baker put a great ball on Njoku going out to the sideline, and he couldn't haul it in. I legitimately think 80% of David Njoku's catches are post routes over the middle. Not always post, but over the middle for sure. Yeah. <sighs> all right, so one thing that I'm glad that we didn't do to fix this wide receiver core is trade a number one overall pick for Amari Cooper, which is what Browns fans were clamoring for that we trade for Amari Cooper. What, what would your price be for Amari Cooper? What would you give up for Amari Cooper, Michael? Okay, so Amari Cooper is in the middle of his fourth season. His option has already been picked up for, like, I think 12 or $13 million yep. for next year. Mm-hmm. That's expensive for a wide receiver. You want real good production from a guy like that. And you only got him for that period of time. So unless you sign him to a new contract. Given during that time. Given that scenario, I would probably for a team that really needs a receiver, like the Cowboys or the Browns for that matter, I I could see giving up a second round pick. I I, I think I could justify a second round pick. But that would be the absolute highest that I could justify. I was gonna say third. Third, I mean, I would feel really good about giving up a third round pick for him, but I think second round like could make sense. Like the Raiders aren't going to give him up for a third round pick. Probably they not. don't hate the guy. Probably not. So uh, second round pick seems like the the sweet spot. A first round pick is crazy. 
because not only <laughs> it's absurd, not only are you giving up your opportunity to select this other player, but you're paying Amari Cooper. So like the the effect that that has the like domino effect that that has on your roster, where instead of having a, a a cheap, really talented player, now you have an expensive for many years, fairly talented player. Yeah, right. You have it. You have an expensive, talented player for a limited number of years versus a cheap, very talented player for a longer period of years. And the only reason why number one picks are so valuable is because you get cheap, good players. And like that, and, is, that like, and yeah, and to and be you fair, can resign them. To be but, fair, the other side of this is you don't know what you're going to get with that number one pick because like you could miss and whatnot, and that that's true. But I don't think anybody right now is Amari Cooper a top. 25 wide receiver in the NFL? Like, he looked like that his rookie season. Yeah, but, no. but the, He's right around the, there. The years 20 after five. having a good, his year t- last year was terrible. He's they, got one of the He's got the talent. He's got the talent to be a top 25 wide receiver in the NFL, but he has not been consistently showing that. There's no doubt. He's got one of the highest drop rates in the NFL. Oh, yeah. The, the, everybody talks about that he doesn't seem to be like the fiery, like do what it takes to be great type player. And so I think it's a huge risk. I would have never given up a first round pick. How about but my favorite thing is my buddy, Zach, who is yeah. a huge Cowboys fan. I like took great pleasure in seeing this trade come through to be able to give him a hard time. And he's excited about it. You know why Cowboy fans are excited about it? Because they're comparing it to the other horrible wide receiver trades that they've made, and the compensation isn't as bad. The Roy as, Williams trade. Yeah, yeah, they didn't give up as much as they did for like Roy Williams in years past, oh and my gosh. and like that's what they're how they're justifying it. That was like oh, a yeah. that, that one was like a one, a three, a five, and a seven. I'm pretty sure it's a one, three, six, and a seven, or and yeah, yeah it was something like that. It was it was bad. For Roy, for one wide receiver, for Roy Williams, yeah, yeah, and it was it a similar really situation. When was this? Uh, 2012. 2012. Yeah, I don't no, even remember that. it was earlier than that. I looked it up. It was 2012. I looked it up because I looked. Yeah, I looked it up because it was in. I wanted to know where it was relative to the new CBA, and it was right around the same time because first round picks are valued differently now. In yeah. the new CBA than they were in the... No, it was 2008. Are you sure? Yes. Boom. So maybe I read an article about... That was after Roy Williams yeah. After Roy Williams was like dropped and they were looking back at how yeah. terrible the trade was. Um, that might have been... Was it. the All article right. on ESPN and was it titled, The Roy Williams Trade Was the Worst Trade in History? <laughs> <laughs> maybe. <laughs> <laughs> that sucks. Imagine having that be written about you. Yeah. We're good? Yeah. So, Michael, you told me earlier that you went through and did a quarter-by-quarter analysis of how much we've scored um, on each quarter and compared them to each other. Um, Enlighten us. I think I have some ideas about what that's going to look like. Well, yeah, I'm just so pissed at how I watch other NFL teams and they show up because they've spent all week creating a game plan to – play against the particular defense they're going to be facing and they are able to execute and then as the game goes on they have to make changes in their game plan in order to score points for the browns it's completely different we just can't do a dang thing in the whole first half 
and then we come out in the second half and can actually score points. I've seen this and observed this, but I wanted some empirical evidence to support it. So I just we always do. I just charted it, and our total first half points in the through seven games this season is forty. 14 of which were against Oakland. So most of those were against Oakland. Second half points is 108. Like we're scoring almost all of our points in the second half. And then there were three overtime points. In the four overtime periods we've played, we've scored three points. We're averaging like eight points in the first half each game. Yeah. That's bad. Real bad. And we, we, we have a high game average than we've had before. Like, much higher than we've had before. Like, what are we averaging per game right now? Much higher than past season. Past I mean, over 20. Probably like 22 points or something. Yeah. This I mean, is what that goes out to. So, I mean, that's not they, great. That's not great, but that's enough to win a, a handful of football games. Like but if you, we're doing all you, of it in the second half, it shows the potential to be in, the, of, in the mid to high 20s. Um, yeah, but the, the fact that we've scored that many points in the second half is incredible. Yeah, and I would say, I mean, I don't know if you broke this out, but I, I would venture to guess that, like, sixty percent of our second half points are in the fourth quarter. I mean, we scored like we we, we scored, scored fourteen on sa- Sunday. We did that. We've had a couple other fourth quarter comebacks too. The Steelers week one against yeah. the Raiders too. We came yeah. back in the fourth quarter. We were down by like eleven at one point. But we also were up on the Raiders early <laughs> for the first time. Yeah, I distinctly remember making a statement during that game, like, oh, man, it feels good to be in the lead. We finally did it. We're finally ahead. Yeah, hate that feeling. <laughs> We're still the Raiders' only win. Can you believe that? Yeah, and we should have won that game. And we might. And we, we did win that game. Remember? We did win that game. There's there an asterisk, and the Browns are not 2-4-1. and one. We're 3-3-1. Three, three, and one. We're 500, baby. Yeah, Matthew, so by quarter – Total points scored this season. Oh, I bet we've scored more in the fourth quarter than we have in the first half. Yes, for sure. Yeah. So, first quarter, total points all year, eight. (laughs) (laughs) That includes a safety by the defense this This past week. week. Two field goals and a safety (laughs) by the defense. It's so bad. That's so bad. That should be a fireable offense no, guys, for the entire not, like offensive that is staff. So and bad. I include it's actually Jackson not, in that. It's actually not funny. It's very <laughs> sad. Eight <laughs> points. Okay, second quarter, 32 points. Third quarter, 45. Fourth quarter, 63. What about overtime? Three. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> what is it that we just overtime in overtime? What is it that overtime is somehow the first quarter and not the fourth? Because you would think <laughs> you would think it would be like if you're clutch, then you're clutch, you know. But like all of a sudden we revert. I don't understand. We were programmed to do four, yeah. and then it just—it's like Y2K where everything resets. Everybody's worried that everything was like Hugh Jackson gets in the huddle. He's like, "It's a whole new game, boys." And, and the, <laughs> No, don't say that. Don't say that. It's just a total misread of the team in this situation. And so it's like, great. We got 48 minutes. It's a whole new game. No, don't say that. Oh, my gosh. That's hilarious. That's that's embarrassing. And it's honestly the reason that we're, we only have two wins on the season is because we haven't showed up in the first quarter. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
No doubt. And it's I mean, good. It's we, good we that we bury ourselves back, and it's impressive that we've been able to dig ourselves out. But. Well, a huge part of it is the, how the defense has been forcing turnovers. I mean, we're leading the league in turnover differential, and so the defense is doing what they need to do. It's how we're coming back in some of these games. It was so sad in this game how many opportunities we had because of the turnovers we were given that we completely squandered. Yep, nothing. Like, right on both sides of halftime, we were given so many opportunities to score, and we hardly made anything of them. Agreed. The well, only the one st- we did anything with was at the beginning of the second half. That's the story of the season, not just this game. That's oh, I what know. It, that's what it's been through and through and through. And our offense just can't capitalize on it. Um and part of the, part of that problem is in this last game was our wide receiver core. We just elevated Pharaoh Brown onto the team today. Who's a tight end that's been on our practice squad for a few weeks? Indeed. Um, How do you spell what do his you name? Th- we, we signed him when we cut another tight end whose name was also Pharaoh, which is. So interesting to me still. That is <laughs> It's like, how many tight ends are there named Pharaoh? Like, how many people are there named Pharaoh? What are the odds? What are the odds? Um, I mean, you spell Pharaoh, P-H-A-R-A-O-H. <laughs> That's how you spell Pharaoh, if you're talking about Mark just Pharaoh. typed it into his computer. I sure didn't. I was looking you directly in the eyes. No, I saw you type it, and then I saw you look at the screen and read it. I'm, that, I'm with Michael on this one. <laughs> okay, that is an absurd falsity. That is it's an absurd right falsity. right there. You read it right there. But your lie that I typed it <laughs> is an absolute lie. So I just want the listeners to know that Michael has and always has lied to you on this podcast. <sighs> um, anyway, we updated. What, what, why do we have this many tight ends on our team? Why do we need this many tight ends when we're not even using the ones that we have? I've been bringing up Seth DeValve's name on this podcast for three weeks. I, it Which is make... impressive because you've mentioned his name more than he's seen the field. Oh, for sure. And it doesn't. It just doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand what's going on because we've seen what he could do in years past. We need bodies to catch the ball reliably. We know that he can provide that. At least we've seen that on the field in years past. And he's not even getting an opportunity. He played special teams, and that was it. He didn't. I don't think he played one snap on offense. What? Yeah, it, that he's, a, killed, that he's arguably our third best pass catcher. Yeah, I said that earlier, but like what? I mean. Jarvis is ahead of him. I, I can't name another one, honestly. David Njoku doesn't catch the ball. But in certain situations, why would you not just line up Njoku out wide? Like, say, in the red zone. Like, bring in Seth DeValve as a tight end, an extra body to catch balls in the red zone. Like, Antonio Callaway's not helping you a whole lot down there. Yeah, but what they're doing is they're using fells. As whenever Njoku's out wide and they have another tight end, it's fells. That's fine. Let's do a three tight end set in the red zone. Well, then it's been Orson Charles, which don't get me started. I, I dislike Orson Charles. I wish we didn't have him on, his ro- on this roster, but I understand that he's mostly a fullback, but there's yes. other guys who are actually fullbacks who could, <laughs> could, could do that job a little better. We have a couple of tight ends that we could pull up the slack if we dropped Orson Charles. Um, all right. So every week we um, take the primetime games and we go through the lines and we have a competition amongst ourselves um, that Michael is just an egomaniac about the fact that he's winning. He just can't stop talking about yeah, it. Yeah, talk about it all the time. Um, and so he are you still winning, Michael? Yep. 
There it is. See, how'd, look at him. What a this, monster. How'd you do this week, Michael? Poorly. But Music um, <laughs> I'm 11 and 8, and you guys are both tied at 7 and 12. Coming back. Oh, nice. Good for you. So, yeah. That's uh, four games back. Did, did Speaking of, did we push this week on that Tampa Bay-Cleveland game? Because yep. wasn't it a three-point spread? Yep. We all pushed. Hmm. Curious. Damn, damn Vegas, man. Yep. They nailed that one. Good for them. Um, so that is where we stand in the standings. The games this week are kind of interesting. Um, we were talking about it earlier. Large spreads in these games. So Thursday night, Miami is traveling to Houston. Another not so great Thursday night game, honestly. And Houston's favored by seven and a half points. I Brock Osweiler getting the start. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Tannehill's definitely out, right? That's got to be like built into this line. Osweiler heading to Houston. That's interesting. Uh, So Houston's favored by seven and a half. Mark, what's your pick? Miami or Houston? I know that Houston is leading the AFC South. I know that they have had an all right season and they've been good since they started 0 and 2. But I just don't have any reason to be hot on Houston and seven and a half points is a lot of points for a Miami team that's four and three. And they've looked surprisingly I didn't like them running into the season, but they've looked surprisingly decent. Um, And Brock Osweiler looked good two weeks ago. I actually didn't really see how he did last week, but he looked good two weeks ago. Um, I'm going to go with the Dolphins. Seven and a half points. Miami to cover. Matthew? Uh, I don't like – I don't think Miami's going to score enough points to cover. Uh, With Brock Osweiler starting, the team has two weeks ago – whoever they were playing wasn't preparing for Osweiler to play. They were preparing for Tannehill, and then Osweiler jumped in there. I think that makes a difference. Also, Albert Wilson and Kenny Stills are both out in this game, so they're having to rely on Devontae Parker and Danny Amendola as their top two receivers. Devontae Parker wasn't active last week. (laughs) Wasn't active and was like actively on the trading block. They're trying to get rid of him, and now he's going to have to be one of their starting receivers. Um, I, I don't love Houston, but I think my this is a really tough game for Miami. So you're I'm picking taking Houston. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna pick Houston too. Um my theory on these is just this <sighs> lean towards the home team. And I have Miami's just been up and down. Like their good is real good and their bad has been pretty bad. So I just don't know what to make. I'm gonna lean towards Houston the home team on this one. Which brings us to the Sunday night game, which is New England heading to Buffalo. <laughs> and in an away game... Didn't Buffalo finished with five points this week. Oh, LaShawn McCoy was out, and it's just... It Derek just get, Anderson got the start. It just gets ugly real quick. LaShawn McCoy got me point one points in fantasy. Derek Anderson's been on their team like nine days, and he had to start the game. Oh, so That's Brownsy oh. right there. Oh, the, the Browns, Bills. yeah, Bills fans. They went. They did go to the playoffs last year. That's positive. Which is, like, inconceivable at this point. Like how that right. substantially that roster yeah. made the playoffs. All right, here's here's the thing. They lost to the Colts, five to thirty-seven. Yeah. Woof. 
That's the Colts' second win on the year. Which would explain why the line in this game for New England heading to Buffalo is New England favored by 14. New England. I pick New England. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't bring myself to pick Buffalo. I... They're the worst team in the league. And I hope Josh Gordon scores some touchdowns because he's on a couple of my fantasy teams. That's what I'm cheering for. Uh, I just don't see Buffalo. I mean, it is a division game. I'm sure that kind of can be tight sometimes. But, oh, I can't pick Buffalo and feel good about it. New England for me. No, I, I can't either. New England's a um, little banged up. Got Sony Michelle's probably out in this game. Gronk didn't play last week and... Who knows He's what his status is. Um, but I think this is just going to get worse for Buffalo. I mean, Josh Allen's out with an elbow injury, and they were talking about him maybe needing like reconstructive surgery, like Tommy John surgery if you're like a baseball player. That's a really long injury to recover from. Things are going to get worse before they get better there in Buffalo. And maybe Do, they won't you, ever get better. If Josh Allen keeps playing the way that he played – Leading up Don't to things get better if Josh Allen's out for a long time? Well, maybe, but... But they were better when no, Josh Allen was no, in no, there. No, see, so I disagree. Because if he's out, they're going to lose a bunch of games, and then they're still going to be in this position where it's like, no, Josh Allen's going to be great. Where if he plays and they see like the, the progress, then maybe they could just kind of cut bait on the decision. Wait, what? What progress? Well, well, if they don't, if they don't see the progress, if they don't like, see the progress. Okay, you know, yeah. So that brings us to our game: Browns heading to the second game against Pittsburgh already before the halfway point in the season. Crazy. Such a rare occurrence. It's kind of refreshing, actually. A, a little bit. Get done with it. Very odd to be playing Pittsburgh twice before we even see the Bengals, for instance. But here we are. We're heading to Pittsburgh, and the Steelers are getting lots of love. They're favored by eight points in this game. So I'll pick it first. The Browns have played the Steelers super close the last handful of times we played them. I can distinctly remember both of the games last year going right down to the wire. I will say Corey that. Coleman botched one, and Antonio Brown made a ridiculous play in the first week of the season last year to seal the other one, but they both literally came down to the wire. Week 17 was because they weren't playing their starters. I was going to, yes. I was going <laughs> to, you know, pass but on yes, that information. But yes, but yes, yes. Um, well, it was a Landry Jones special. Um, and we still lost. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's hilarious. And then we tied them in week one this year. And so eight points is too much. I'm going with the Browns. Let's go, Michael. No, I'm I'm taking the Browns too. I don't the Steelers defense isn't what the Steelers defense has been. There's like three players on the Steelers defense that like I have respect for or scare me. And it, it's TJ Watt, Cam Hayward, and then Stephon Tuitt. Their secondary is terrible, their linebackers are terrible. So I think we have an opportunity to to take advantage of them. And their if we score in the first half, predictable. We will have to score in the first half, which may prove to be an obstacle just too too great to overcome. But I think eight points is a little more generous for the Steelers than. Yes, I think that this team, for some reason, they have it out for their divisional opponents. They're pissed off, and we tied the Steelers and we beat the Ravens. We're, we're doing well in the division. 
we're one zero and one in the division. And I think we're going to continue that. And I legitimately think that the Ravens are the hurdle that we have not overcome yet. If we beat the, the Steelers? Ravens, or sorry, the Steelers, um, the Steelers are the hurdle that we have not overcome yet. If we beat the Steelers, then we're going to get some sort of mentality that we can move forward with confidence that we don't have this monkey on our back anymore. Um, and after this loss, that was so infuriating in Tampa Bay. Cause I really do believe that this is a good team that we have the capacity to beat anyone. And I really do think that, um, they're going to come back and they're going to be angry next week and they're going to want to win, especially cause it's the Steelers. Um, man, talking about that, we're two, four and one. We if shouldn't we be. had just pulled out this game that honestly, in a lot of ways we didn't deserve to win. But like, if we had pulled it out, ways, it would have been three, three, and one. But also, in a lot of ways, we did deserve to win. It it was both. Yeah. Anyways, so you got the brownies again. Too? I got the Browns, not just to cover, but to win. Oh, I love it. We are going to beat the Steelers. So, this so does week, that mean Browns Mark fans. gets a loss if? <laughs> no, no. It, it just means not. he's an optimistic Browns fan. That's right. I am. We're like gonna win this week. Us. And then guess what? We're going to beat Kansas City next. <laughs> no, we're not. We're not. Um, all right. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We love you. We appreciate you. Um, if you like our podcast, be sure to give us a five-star rating. If you do so, send us a screenshot on us. Send us a DM on Twitter. And we will give you some of these fresh new um, Sin of Our Fathers podcast stickers. Let us know what your address is, and we'll mail one your way. We will pay... For the stamp. Imagine that. We'll pay for the whole stamp. We'll give it to you for free. All you got to do is give us a five-star rating. Also, you have to use discount code BROWNS to get $2 off. Just kidding. You don't. But you do get a discount on Barbasol if you use discount code BROWNS if you want a shave kit order. They'll send you razors whenever you want them, as many times as you want them. And they'll pay for the stamp. And they'll pay for the stamp. That Every way. Every time they send you the razors. <laughs> You don't, you don't have to pay your own postage. It's amazing what the world is nowadays. This is just digressing it's into in, a, like a stamps.com it's incredible. live read. It's incredible. Very also, prevalent in the podcast world. If if you uh, have something you want us to talk about, send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. That's sinofourfathers at gmail.com. We appreciate you, especially all those fans in Tokyo who I'm finding out might just be computers. Uh, shout out before we go to Adam Herrer who we got a chance to meet up with. If you don't know, Adam is the host of the Surviving the Season podcast with his brother Greg. We got to see him in Tampa. It was a great time. Shared a beer, shared a dinner, and um, it was it was great. Hopefully we'll get a chance to do that again. I like that guy. him and other um, fun Browns um, folks and Browns fans that are doing great work and are fans just like the rest of us. So keep it up. Go Browns. Go Browns. <laughs>